Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Charles Bachway, and today we travel to Weathered Ground Brewery in Cool Ridge, West Virginia, to talk with proprietor Sam Fonda about what's going on. Sam Fonda, welcome back to West Virginia Beer Roads. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so how are things going here in midwinter 2024? Things are going really well. We've had a pretty good winter here. We've had a uh, decent ski season. That's uh, very much a part of our business uh, is getting ski tourists. And so uh, it's been going good. Well, when the Brilliant Stream crew stopped in here to visit just about a year ago, you explained that your IPAs, your lager, and your quick sours were the beers that were selling best at that time. Uh, Is that continuing into 2024? It is. Those are the uh, definitely the most popular styles that we sell. And it seems like whenever we brew a new one, uh, they sell even faster. So we are uh, continuing to try to come out with new IPAs, lagers, and quick sours uh, all the time, or at least maybe package some that we've already already brewed. Yeah, and so... You, like you said earlier, that the ski season here has done pretty well, and, and I know you get a lot of business during ski season, which is a little different from probably the business you might have in other times of the year because more people from away from the area. I mean, do you notice a difference in stylistically that what they come in looking for or what they seem to order? Uh, just those three styles uh, mainly. They love uh, uh, IPA, lager, and, uh, and fruited uh, fruited quick sours. Um, every now and again, you'll have somebody order a stout, but usually they, they like to buy those cans and take them home. Um, uh, but yeah, those three styles are, uh, are what a lot of people from coming up from North Carolina and Tennessee and those places that are coming to ski, what they, what they're really drinking. Well, last year you did explain that, uh, due to the popularity of, of those beers you just described, the quick sours, the IPAs and, uh, lager that you tend to keep a pretty tight brand list of beers you want to have full time, but you need to have representatives in those categories probably out all the time. So refresh us again on what brands those are within your book and uh, what's your plan to keep them on the shelves and taps this time. It's really a tough balancing act because we have core brands, but we have rotating core brands, and I think that helps us. Um, so, with its lager, you know, of course, we try to keep our flagship. You know, Cool Ridge Lager is what's na- we named this our uh, our most popular lager after this place. But uh, you know, when we throw in our other rotating lager brand, Sixteen Shots in Munich, it really helps keep keeps Cool Ridge fresh and keeps gives everybody a break from it for for a minute. And we tend to do the same thing with our IPAs. I think our most recognizable brand for IPAs is Haggard IPA, but a lot of people prefer the Stop and Smell the Citrus IPA. And so while we try to keep Haggard on the shelves, it's good to, uh, to do a refresh and make sure Stop and Smell gets thrown in there. Well, Sam, I think that is a good strategy. I mean, I like that breaking up a popular style that you have to keep on your list uh, and in distribution. 
breaking it up with two different brands that fill that category. So you're never out and away completely, nor are you out for all that long. Uh, it'll come back. The only, the only tough, well, one of the tough things we see though with that plan is a lot of places have printed menus. Um, so unfortunately you might go to a place um, that says on the printed menu, it might say Weatherground Brewery IPA. It, it doesn't necessarily say haggard or stop and smell. It just says IPA. You might have to ask your server which one that will be. And that's because we rotate so often with, uh, with the styles. Yeah, no, I can see that. And that brands. the people I know, bar, bar folks, uh, bar managers, they get a style that well, works well for them, a beer that sells well. They want that beer a lot of times. And I mean, maybe... Sometimes I could see they wouldn't necessarily enjoy your switch out that you do. And, or like you said, maybe it's printed on a menu and it's not easy for them to switch. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting challenge in a market, especially when you're a small guy like you, you are. You know, I, you know, well, we've seen our local beer market uh, pretty much completely recover now from the COVID years. Uh, at least from, my, from what I've seen. I mean, you may not agree. Let me know if you agree or disagree. But... Uh, I think that means that you're probably back to pretty much to capacity in what you're being able to sell and maybe could even sell more if you had a larger capacity. Yeah. I think the, uh, I think we're back to normal in beer sales. I think overall the state I'm sure is, has grown. We have new brands coming in every year, um, from, from other States. And so I think that the craft beer scene has, has grown even since COVID hit. Um, but we're doing all right. Uh, we're hanging in there and pushing our beer out there and trying to hang with the big guys. Yeah. And I think I know you've said in the past that uh, I think somewhere around a thousand barrels annually here is pretty much where you stay. And if you only made one or two beers, you could probably well top that. But because you make so many different beers, unlike a lot of breweries, you make a ton of different beers throughout a year. That probably keeps you it's more or less at that level and it's hard to, to, to move above. It does. And we also brew a lot of selfish beers. Uh, we brew a lot of beers that we, we enjoy and like, and really enjoy trying to make. And those, those are not popular styles with the, uh, with what's trending right now. We still brew a lot of, of, uh, ordinary classic saisons and, um, and some farmhouse ales that don't always meet people's tastes and that's okay. I think we, you know, I always kind of have the philosophy that you can't make everybody happy, uh, but you need to try. And so we, uh, we try to make something for everybody. Well, here we are pretty much the closeout of the winter season or getting near that. And I think it's time to taste a few, maybe beers that'll last into springtime here and that people can enjoy if they come to weather ground here in Cool Ridge. And we're going to learn about a few of the beers you've got on tap. You've brought out a flight to me and uh, we're going to try that first beer and I'll drink it while you tell me what it is. Sure. So I think last time you were here, uh, you were tasting a beer that was a Sheck Dark Lager that we brewed called Utter Desolation. Yes. And uh, so we harvested yeast from that beer uh, to brew the actual, uh, just a Sheck Pilsner. And it's going to be uh, bright and crisp with uh, 
a little bit darker color than like say our 16 shots in Munich. It's going to be more golden uh, rather than like that straw straw color. Um, yeah, very much uh, the difference between a, a Bavarian lager really and a, and a Czech lager. Yes, yeah. it uh, it turned out wonderful. That one is all Anthony Metter. Um, the it's it's not a true to style Czech Pilsner because we don't use uh, European malts. It's all Carolina malt, but uh, we brewed it in that vein. We we believe it it's uh, a delicious lager. Um, if you see this one out out there, definitely give it a try. Important thing I forgot, and uh, I didn't hear the name of the beer. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's called so. It's uh, it's sort of paired with that dark lager that's called utter desolation this one is called uh, shrouded in light um <laughs> so it's a little bit of contrast there to the other name well i just love how our craft brewers have to continue to be more and more creative on coming up with unique names for their beers that haven't already been used by somebody else 20 times you know yep so <laughs> shrouded in light is a Czech style pilsner uh if you, it just it goes so well with everything it's just a good good drinking lager beer it's uh, about 5% alcohol. Yeah, very smooth. I enjoy that. Well, Sam, over the years, your role has changed from being the primary brewer here at Weathered Ground to being more of an overall general manager and leaving the brewing to the very capable brewer who we were talking to a little while ago, Anthony Metter. Uh, Anthony uh, does a great job with all the beers he brews here, but I want to focus back on the change to you and how you get still involved in developing new beers or different beers that you want at the brewery beyond all of uh, Anthony's ideas. A lot of times I spark up an idea from staring at these chalkboards and trying to figure out what's next. What are we missing? What have we not made before? What do we need to make again? Except what do we, what do we need to make again, but make better than last time? And so that's where I still get a lot of my motivation. Um, he, he produces all the wort for us. Uh, you know, he, he mashes in every day, brews for us. Um, but he also comes up with new ideas like these Sheck lagers. That was all him. Uh, but, uh, you know, I still, I still love coming up with beers. Um, and I trust Anthony to, uh, formulate the recipes, um, a lot of times, a lot of times I'll look at his uh, recipe and say that looks good. A lot of times I just trust him to formulate it, and uh, and I, I try not to get in his way. He's become so talented at it. And so, yeah, that's got to be great to have a key employee like that that you can trust to that level, especially in a place where you know you've got to hit right. You know, you have to hit I, the. I can't tell right. you how many times recently I'll come in the day after we've made the beer and look at the recipe sheet and say to myself, why did he do that? And I'll be a little bit angry. And then the beer comes out and it's the, uh, you know, couldn't be happier. So, yeah. Uh, yeah I know you've uh, you experienced back in North Carolina for a number of years, working at a couple of breweries there that you've worked with a lot of different brewers and brewer talents. So I think you're probably in a pretty good position to judge a guy that's got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. He definitely does great attention to detail. Um, really really takes pride in i've always said he's he's uh he's the malt master he really knows barley and wheat and oats and rye corn and everything else he, he uh he does his homework and um and yeah he's the man 
Well, it's making me thirsty again, and I'm looking forward to this sample beer number two. Uh, so explain that one as we taste it. Sure. This beer is called Journey to Avalon. It is our second beer made with Avalon barley from uh, Virginia. Um, that we buy the uh, the malt from Riverbend Malt House in North Carolina. Uh, but uh, it's just a really good classic American pale ale. Uh, it's kind of citrusy, kind of piney, not, not, maybe not one more over the other. Um, I just, it was one of those things looking at the board, what do we need right now? We haven't brewed in a, a classic American pale ale in a while. And uh, the hops showcased there are Centennial, um, Simcoe, and Amarillo. Now, definitely classic American hops. Uh, this is a beautiful beer, and of course, I, I'm a proponent of these local malts, and this one is not just locally malted in our region, uh, in Asheville, but it's also uh, developed locally at Virginia Tech, like you said. Now, I really like this Avalon malt, and you brewed earlier this year a Saison with this same malt. We did. That one is called Golden Avalon, and uh, this one is called Journey to Avalon. It's... Uh, Sometimes you just can't beat a good old pale ale, and uh, I've really enjoyed drinking this one. And then let's go ahead and uh, try beer number three here that you've brought out on the sample tray. To me, kind of looks like a hazy IPA. It's it, a hazy something. It is. That's uh, that's kind of a classic here. That's our Stop and Smell the Citrus IPA. Uh, I chose to let you taste that one because it's really fresh and tasting really good. And uh, it's just about to hit that Charleston Huntington market. So, uh, you know, yeah, it gives me a chance to say, go get it. Now, this is then one of the cores that will be out in distribution wherever you sell your beers. Yes. Or at least available to all those accounts in Morgantown area, probably Snowshoe even. Yes. Um, down here in southern West Virginia and Huntington, too. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a classic and certainly... I'm sure you wouldn't keep making it if it wasn't getting a strong and steady demand. Absolutely, it's uh, it's. I'm always excited uh, come canning day to see how this batch turned out, and I've uh, I've been tasting a lot of that over the weekend because it's uh, just so great. Well, I know you and your business partners are always considering whether or not the time is right, whether to expand the brewery or maybe open a second tap room somewhere somewhere else in the state, you know? Um, so what's that investigation like? I mean, how's it still going? It's just a lot of research right now. Uh, nothing is set in stone. We're just entertaining a lot of different options on how we want to grow this business, taking our time with it. We're not in any huge hurry, but I'm also uh, tired of being a little stagnant here and ready to, ready to do something different. And so, uh, so we're entertaining different different options on how to, how we want to grow this business. Well, I know when you're at a really at capacity, uh, you can't really brew more. It does kind of hamstring a, a small brewery. And not only maybe you don't have great designs on, you know, selling millions of barrels of beer, but you still want to have the flexibility to make beers that you want to make when you want to make them. And boy, I know when you're smaller, you that's hard to do. But if you talk about opening, uh, possibly opening another tap room somewhere, like some of our breweries have done, they have second, some of them have three tap rooms, different places, that puts a bigger demand on your physical plant. If you 
don't enlarge the brewery, how would you even support another tap room? So we would we would enlarge the brewery at that point. Mm-hmm. If we if we were to open up a second location, uh, I think that that demand for beer would justify us uh, uh, making some changes to our production facility here and and making that uh, bigger and and buy some more tanks and and uh, get some more room downstairs, whether that's a, another building for storage so we can purchase more tanks mm-hmm. and more cold room storage and stuff like that. Well, I'm sure it's, it is important to be cautious in any expansion. I've seen plenty of breweries across the east here and south that have maybe expanded a little too fast. Yeah. You know, and they, that hurts profitability. They got beer they can't sell or capacity they can't use mm-hmm. um, and sometimes never get into it. But uh, it is also important that you want to make this a good business and, and make some money. And yeah. I, I know it probably pulls you different directions. And I, I can't imagine because I'm not uh, owning a brewery. But I guess it's uh, it's a big decision. Yeah, I always have to remind myself that you know while we're waiting on making those decisions, there's a lot of things we can tighten up. Uh, on site here to make this place the best place it can be before we expand. So that I, I try to focus on that a lot while we, while we sit back and, and figure out what the next move is. Uh, we can always tighten things up here and, and the beer can always be better. And, uh, and, uh, we try to improve that with every batch. Well, over the past year, we've seen some changes in our local West Virginia brewing scene. We've, lost a couple of little tiny breweries that closed in 2023. We also lost a big investment over at Big Draft Brewing in White Sulphur Springs. So it's not something that's just to give me and open a brewery, even though they're very popular, the ones that are doing well are doing very well. You gotta run a good business and there's no doubt about that. Uh, This year, I think in 2024, we're gonna see a couple of new breweries open, small ones that are probably open here in the first quarter of the year. And um, we, you know, hear talk about others that are coming. Uh, but what's your read, Sam, on the health of the overall local brewing scene in West Virginia today? I think it's in good health. I think it, it's, I think whether or not, um, what's the best way to put it? There's so many different levels of what people's goals are and and what they want to do. And so I think the ones that close, you know, are not meeting those goals and they're not, or maybe they're not passionate about as passionate as they thought they were about it. And so, uh, there's a lot of different reasons why they could close, but you know, um, I think the general health of it is good. I see breweries closing all over the country and, and I think maybe that's, maybe it's not what they thought it was in terms of, uh, you know, financial returns or, sure, or sure. that kind of thing. So um, I would just say the ones that are very passionate about it and, and make it their life are the ones that are going to keep making beer uh, and the ones that have, you know, invested in those companies uh, need to hopefully have the same uh, mindset about it. Well, speaking of passion for brewing, um, you've already told us about the your core brands, your bigger selling products that you make and you have here at the tap room as well as the ones in distribution. 
but I know also know you make a number of less popular or more obscure styles that are just a passion for you. And maybe you mentioned a couple of those earlier, but I'd like for you to go over a couple of those examples of the kind of beers that you have on tap right now that might be a little more less less well known. Definitely saisons. I think when we opened, we wanted to mostly brew that kind of beer. And that, that quickly changed because we, we wouldn't be open anymore if that's uh, all we did. And so I still make them from time to time. We actually are loaded up on it right now because whenever I, whenever we have a new yeast, I, uh, we tend to brew a lot of Saison because I want to keep using that yeast while we still have it. So we have one really good classic one on, on tap right now called Golden Avalon. Um, and then we have a dry hopped one on deck, uh, that we have yet to name, uh, dry hop Saison farmhouse IPA, however you want to, uh, however you want to corner it there. Um, it's going to be really good and reminds me of a beer we made a few years ago with another really good brewery in, in Charlotte. But, um, and then we've got another rye Saison on deck after that. So Saison's for sure. Uh, farmhouse ales um and then uh, i also really love english style beers uh, i really love german style beers but they tend to be popular because they tend to be really good lagers but i like to make uh english style uh milds and uh, esbs and and we have a, a mild series called mild and wonderful where we, we have three different lower alcohol english style beers yeah and, and i've even seen those out in the distribution market yeah so we are about to brew the mild in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's just uh, it's just kind of a nostalgic, uh, fun thing for me. It's it's not super expensive to make, so even though it moves slow, we don't lose a lot on it or anything like that. English milds, uh, I love our standard English mild, and then we do a darker version that uh, I was sort of worried would be too much like our Inniskillen Dry Irish Stout but it's not, it's totally different flavor. And, uh, I love that beer. Uh, we'll be brewing both of those, uh, pretty soon. And we, we fill casks of them and have casks tapped at the brewery to, to sell on our uh, beer engine. And that's a lot of fun. That's another kind of selfish thing that I like to do. We don't sell a lot of pints by the cask, but I do, I do it every chance I get because that's what I like to drink. Um, I think it's a lot of fun and it's also not easy. It's a lot of timing and a lot of getting a lot of timing right with filling the casks. And every once in a while, we'll have somebody come in here that is extremely impressed that we have cask beer being served from a beer engine. And that makes me happy. And I'll have a, a pint of cask beer with them. And that's what it's all about is, is uh, staying happy in this, in this thing and enjoying it. Yeah. And I, I'll say that walking into your tap room, you always have an incredible variety of beer and it's not just the standard popular varieties it will be things like an english mild or a dark mild or a, you know things that you don't see at many places even in big cities yeah yep. we're very prideful in variety that's for sure and and hopefully good variety i don't want to brew something just to have it i want to do it right and uh, take a lot of pride in that well, I want to change the topic just a little bit here into talking a little bit about alcohol content in beers. And I'm curious about your thinking on that. I mean, do you attempt in your 20 taps or however many you're going to have, do you attempt to consciously diversify your tap list among beers with distinctly different alcohol levels? Yes. 
like I was saying earlier, when I look at the boards and I'm trying to figure out what we need to brew in the coming weeks, that plays a part in it. Uh, we need to always have something on the lower alcohol side. And uh, we need to always have a big stout on. Uh, they don't move the fastest, but people will walk in and say, why don't you have a big stout? And so uh, we try to always have, have a big stout on. I try to just have a really good uh, variety. Even, I mean, it even goes narrows down into styles. Like, sure, we have a hoppy beer, but that hoppy beer is 7%. We need a 5% hoppy beer. We need a 9% hoppy beer. We need, like I said, can't make everybody happy, but you need to try. And so we try to have uh, alcohol content down the board um, for uh, whatever whatever people uh, like to have. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to 20, 25 years ago, the microbrewery days, that back then it seemed like sometimes uh, alcohol content was was always, it's always maybe been used as a way to differentiate beers and different customers. But I also noticed that a lot of brewers, small brewers, seem to up the alcohol levels of beer in a sense to differentiate themselves from the big non-craft brewers. You know, the loggers were at four and a half to five and a half percent. Well, they wanted everything they were selling to be higher because they would attract customers that wanted bigger, stronger beers. Sure. Uh, it was a, sort of a sales strategy, to, I thought. And whether or not that's particularly appropriate, I, I just wonder... How do you handle that? I mean, you, a lot of different beers, you could make them higher, you could make them stronger, or you could make them lower. Do you have a thought on, on that kind of thing? I, I think the overall beer drinking society has matured from that. Uh, I mean, I, I, I still see those people that give me the strongest thing you got type of people. Because uh, yeah. they're, yeah. they're only here for one beer, and they're, <laughs> they just got off work, and they want that one beer to count. Um, so I get it, but... Uh, I have so many customers uh, that want the lightest thing we have, and that's okay. They and uh, they they're here to hang out all night for the music, and so they need that four percent beer, that five percent beer. They don't want the ten percent barley wine. I think it's overall it's matured over time, and and now people don't associate craft with high alcohol as much. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you still have some uh, small amount of people that do. Well, when it comes to the topic of moderation, you know, in, in drinking and the fact that, you know, it's certainly illegal for any bar to overserve technically. How do you handle that? I mean, what measures do you take to control that? I mean, do you train your staff? I mean, how do they, how do you deal with that? The trying not to overserve people at your, at your own pub? We train our staff for sure. Um, they're on, well, on basically two things. One uh, how much have you served that person? And it's it's unfortunate, but a lot of times people will be angry if they get cut off by how many beers they've had. But that's, I'm sorry, that's just part of it. Um, so uh, we train them not to overserve, and we also train them on uh, how to tell if somebody has had too much to drink. Because a lot of times somebody will have, will, come from somewhere else or just maybe be drinking moonshine in the parking lot. I don't know. But, uh, you know, they're fine when they walk in the door and after they have one beer, they're not fine. And that's because they've already been drinking before they ever got here. Um, and so, uh, we train them to basically don't serve drunk people. And so that's, uh, that's, that's part of being a bartender. You got to be able to make judgment calls and you got to be able to tell people, I'm sorry, but, uh, but I can't serve you anymore. 
Well, it's also a part of the management uh, philosophy at the establishment, and I'm glad to hear that your management philosophy does emphasize uh, not over-serving. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move on now to our final beer sample of today, and what beauty did you bring me for the fourth sample? Well, I'll, uh, I know that you don't love really big uh big dark stouts but i would be doing myself a disservice if i didn't try to market this beer as it goes out into the into the local beer markets uh this is called to the gills we aged it is a it is a double mashed imperial stout uh pastry stout you might say that type of thing we uh we aged it in rye whiskey barrels from smooth ambler uh and then we uh we mingled in macadamia and coconuts. Um, it's, it has no lactose sugar in it, so it's lactose friendly for my, for my no milk drinking friends. All that residual sugar is, uh, is from the, there's no vanilla in it or anything like that. All, mm -hmm. the, all the residual sugar is from the grain. Yeah. We don't dump a ton of dextrose in there. Uh, there's, there's no lactose sugar. There's no maltodextrin in it. It's very rich and nutty. Yes. Those beers are always fun because I, I that that taster glass is is way more than enough for me, but those uh, those beers are always fun because they change with every sip as they warm up. Like when I get that ice when I get that cold off the tap, it's like all chocolate yeah. at first, and then the second sip is like oh, it's, uh, I get a lot of the nuts, and then it's like after you swallow, it's like uh, that coconut is so there and then you know the rye whiskey barrel you, uh, you definitely get some uh, whiskey warmth and some some uh yeah you know, some whiskey characteristics you know it's so very that. complex and uh to the gills uh it it, it is complex to the gills mm -hmm. there's a lot going on in that beer mm -hmm. it's yeah. it's uh it may be my favorite big stout we've done but i do want to do another one soon just for fun uh just kind of throwing in fun stouts here and there I, I don't know what that will be yet but uh we'll do another fun big stout soon and i love how you mentioned that its flavor changes quite dramatically as it warms up from a very cold just poured tap temperature mm -hmm. as to, it warms up and as as your palate changes you know the you might not taste something at the first sip but you know let it sink in and then take another sip and it's totally different yeah well, I mean, that's, I think, a concept that maybe a lot of just regular bars and restaurants aren't totally in touch with because pretty much they have all their tap systems designed. It's all one temperature. It's too cold for most of the beers you sell. Yet that's what people learn to drink their beer because that's the way it's served at a bar. Mm -hmm. And many beers change quite dramatically as they warm up to a more suitable temperature for that beer. I know like a lot of IPAs, when you first taste them very cold, all you get is bitterness. Mm -hmm. um, you don't get the beautiful flavors from the hops that they've put in that beer and the malts as well. And then as it starts to come a little bit warmer and you know what I call cool, not, not warm, but cool temperature, uh, you, you pick up all those other flavors that are in that beer and that's when the beauty of the beer really comes out and the appreciation is it really does do you see any regional differences or differences by account category like restaurants versus bars and beer styles that sell best for you when you're out in the distribution market no not really i, I mean what sells well in charleston and huntington 
pretty much sells the same in Fayetteville and uh, Morgantown. Uh, maybe Bobby would correct me a little bit or, or Jeff, our accountant, if they were sitting here. Um, but from to my knowledge, um, everybody regionally in the state, everybody kind of wa- wants the same thing. Um, you know, I could – I would like to say something about college town. Maybe Huntington or Morgantown would want something, but we're not in a lot of college bars, really. Right? So, yeah, I wouldn't uh, guess you would be. So you know, everything still kind of points back to the uh, those three popular styles, except you know you got some really craft centric uh, places that that like to buy our more obscure stuff. But besides that, it kind of goes back to those lagers, IPAs, and and fruited sours. Well, it's good to hear, though, that you can use your tap room here at the brewery to try out beers and that what you find here about what people like and don't like could Everybody, also apply out in the market. Everybody will get it on a flight, and then, uh, but you got to sell a lot of flights to get, to get rid of those beers. But the good thing is most of those obscure beer styles age well. So if Saison's and farmhouse sales, they, uh, they age well and they age kind of in a fun way where they change and get to so that's at least one good thing about that particular style that doesn't sell very well. Is, you know, uh, it I, evolves. I think your beers, especially say you like some IPAs that you make, um, I find that I prefer them after they've been out for maybe a month, right. a little, just a little aging. But then you know when it gets to six months, they're 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 too old. But mm-hmm. that's and it, you know you learn that only by trying beers fresh versus. You buy a few cans and you keep them at home for a while and you find out, okay, I should have drunk that uh, six months ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And, uh, and as, yeah, as long as, as long as they're kept generally kept cold or they haven't had a lot of back and forth temperature changes, cold, hot, cold, hot, mm-hmm. they, uh, they tend to hold up for a couple months, but then, you know, with the hazy IPAs, gravity works and, uh, and, you know, eventually hops fade and malt takes over. And so definitely better to, to drink, uh, somewhat fresh. Well, you've been canning beers here for several years now, as well as you do package your beers and kegs for, you know, draft accounts. Um, have you seen, seeing, uh, I know you saw through the COVID times, Things moved to cans versus draft because bars were closed and people weren't going out. Then now, you know, bars have come back and more draft is 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 being sold. But are you seeing any now that we're kind of out of that COVID time? Are you seeing any new shifts from your side on what the market's preferring? For now, uh, kegs are back in full force. It's totally different than when we were just canning a whole tank now now we have to make sure we save so many barrels for for kegs uh i mean even i would say if we have a 15 barrel tank full of beer you know more than half of it is going to be uh kegged for uh and that's that's just because we don't have a lot of different accounts since covid uh we don't have that many can accounts uh there are other breweries i'm sure that have maybe have more can accounts than they do draft accounts. It's just that during COVID, our draft accounts became can accounts, and now yeah. they've now they've switched and they don't sell a lot of cans. They sell draft, and so they want kegs. Yeah. Um, so people who might be looking for your beer, I want to make sure they understand. Yeah, you're not in the big mass market accounts like the Kroger and WalMarts and you know or big stores like that. You're or 
you tend to be in beer specialty outlets more yes. so. Yes. And I will say, though, that all of our, like, higher alcohol beers or our dark beers, even the double IPAs, higher alcohol beers, for whatever reason, uh, those sell better uh, in packaged cans than they do on draft. Mm-hmm. And that might may have to do with uh, people don't want to, drink and drive and that's, that's exactly a, that's, a, that's a good thing yeah. i probably don't want to have a 10 percent, 12 percent beer in a, in a bar and then you know they give you a big glass off yeah and so that that uh that to the gills you had we didn't we didn't keg any of that we did i think we did three sixtals for the uh tap room wow. and all the rest of it all of it got canned well we're now into another year 2024 what's your outlook for the beer market this year any thoughts the good beer survives, so uh, we got to keep making what I think is good beer and make it even better. And uh, I think uh, lagers, they keep getting more and more popular, and I'm okay with that because I love lagers. Yeah, but that presents a challenge. You have to have more tank space to uh, make a lot of lagers. It, it does. It does present a challenge. Um, but uh, if they move fast enough, uh, then... Uh, well, it makes up for it, probably. It does. <laughs> so, uh, hazy IPA, I guess, is is still king. Um, so we'll we'll keep. We've got a new. We got a few new IPAs up our sleeves. We try to get into every specific market. You know, we try to. We made a rap, rafting beer this past summer. We made a a ski uh, themed beer this winter. I don't know why we've never made a golf themed beer. So this spring. Be on the lookout for our golf theme beer this spring. Well, with your popularity, I mean, word travels. I mean, people talk about weather ground. I hear them out in the market. You're getting new converts all the time because even though it's kind of limited distribution across the state, people do find it eventually. They try it. They're at a bar that may have it and maybe the first time and they think, wow, this beer is, is good. Shown by your beer reviews, you get very good beer reviews. What does Bobby, your uh, outside salesperson, do when when a bar or somebody new wants your beer, yet you don't have new beer to supply them. How do you manage that? So this is, uh, this is somewhat of a problem. Um, if the, it, it's just the, uh, where we're stuck at right now with the size we are, usually if they contact us in the winter, we usually pick up that new account. In the summertime, it is impossible. We uh, and I don't know how long we can keep doing this because it keeps, you know, when we get to the summertime, we have accounts that want to buy ten cases of Stop and Smell the Citrus, and we can only sell them two cases, and that only lasts them like that day. And so it's, uh, and the reason for that is because of these new accounts that we picked up in the winter, um, and so we are having that is one thing we're having trouble with right now is managing um picking up new places you know we have lost a lot of restaurants and bars though over the years because they've closed and so it seems to keep balancing itself out a little bit every every year we'll pick up like five or six new accounts because five or six accounts um closed and so but eventually i'm scared that we're gonna have more clients than we have beer and uh and so hopefully we will expand sooner or later and make some more beer now that's good to hear before we wrap this up i like one little final thing that's occurred to me you know because you brew so many different beer styles here most 
small breweries probably don't do that on a regular basis. And I'm sure you've gotten like you've thought, okay, well, this beer style I want to brew and this beer style I want to brew. And maybe you've already done that. But are there a few styles out there or, or sub styles, whatever you want to call them, that you haven't brewed before that you'd like to brew for the first time? There are styles of beer that I've not made that I that I don't care to make. Um, but as far as things that uh, we, there's still some some outliers out there that we haven't made. I think we're brewing a beer this this spring slash summer with friends of ours in North Carolina that are kind of famous for their uh, rock beers. And so I guess we're gonna might do our, our first uh, Stein beer with uh, with Fauna Four this summer, and, and that'd, you, that'd you, be fun. You might explain that rock beer to yeah, so, uh, so all the heating process. Uh, it's kind of an ancient uh, uh, process, but all the heating process, all the heating in the from the brewing process, instead of uh, instead of using a steam boiler or electric uh, the uh, gas, you use uh, rocks that you big stones that you heat up in a uh, fire pit, and that actually does all the. Uh, the heating for you so uh we, yeah, so that boils the the boils the wort the wort yeah. yep uh and so we uh that's something fun we might do soon um i just can't think of that many uh styles that you know we haven't touched on oh that's okay there's, i there's, just there's, wondered if there was yeah there's some there's a brewery in uh asheville zebulon that makes a lot of historical beers and i, I think that's really cool I wouldn't go, I would never go as, as far as they do, but I'm always impressed that they made the, like, they tried to create the original IPA, you know, and it was, uh, it was barrel aged and like, uh, 8% with like 130 IBUs. Cause you know, it was, it was made to go on long voyages and, uh, and they let it age for like a year. It just sounded so much fun to me. So maybe, maybe try to dive into some historical styles one day. Um, yeah, that would be fun. I could see that. Yeah, but uh, but uh, I can't really think of that much, that many different styles that, that we haven't touched on, at least. Well, Sam, it's been great talking to you today and getting your insight on our West Virginia beer market, as well as some inside information on what's happening at Weatherground Brewery here in Cool Ridge, West Virginia. So, folks, if you get a chance and you haven't been here to the tap room, they're going to have, what, 20 beers on tap? Uh pretty much all the time. And you're going to find some beer styles here that you won't find everywhere else and, and probably not at your corner bar. Um, so Sam, I wish you well. Thanks again for being with West Virginia Beer Roads here in the late winter, looking to the spring. Thanks as always for having me. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.